Welcome to the First Decipher podcast. I'm Dennis Fisher, the editor-in-chief of Decipher, and with me today is Famita Rashid, uh, the senior managing editor at Decipher. And we're going to kind of go through um, a whole bunch of topics mostly related to Black Hat today, uh, since that's what's coming up in about a week as we're recording, a little less than a week right now. Um, and Black Hat is one of those things that I think uh, most of the folks in our circles, uh, Famita, kind of look at with a mixture of like, you know, anticipation, you know, excitement, but also like kind of existential dread, Um, you know, not just because it's so hectic, like that week, you know, not, not just Black Hat, the conference, I think everybody just refers to that week as Black Hat, you know, slash DEF CON or whatever, but um, it's so hectic especially depending, you know, if you're reporters like we are or someone that's giving a bunch of talks or, you know, somebody that maybe is on the, the sales or marketing side that just has like 75 meetings over the course of, you know, 48 hours, um, which I've thankfully never had to do. But it just seems like one of those weeks kind of like RSA where like everything just gets compressed. And by the end of it, after, you know, being in the desert for four days, you just kind of, you know, feel like a shell of yourself. I, I think the bigger problem really is the fact that you're in the desert. I have a feeling that we wouldn't be as worn out as just drained if we were in a same city. Being in Las Vegas to me is actually more physically draining than the meetings themselves. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And even if you don't, you know, go out and do anything stupid, like running in the desert, like I like to do, you know, um, yeah, it's just tiring waking up. You're just dehydrated when you wake up, you know, and, yeah. and, and just getting off the airplane, walking through McCarran airport, you just kind of see the worst of humanity and the, like those nine minutes before you can get to the cab. <laughs> Between all the big advertisements of all the companies that's advertising at Black Hat and the casinos in the airport. You mm-hmm. just, I actually don't know which is worse out of those two. Well, yeah, because your ears start ringing as soon as you get off the plane with like the slot machine bells and everything <laughs> like that. And just everybody screaming, you're just like, all right, I just want to turn around and get back on the airplane. Like, can I just go home now? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Can this be done? Um, so, that being said, there are a whole bunch of talks at Black Hat that um, I'm really kind of interested in. This this year seems to have uh, a more diverse set of topics and speakers than I can remember in recent years. Um, and I don't just mean diverse in the in the sense of you know there's more women speaking or more people of color, which I think is actually true. Just looking through you know the speaker list, but I I think also in terms of people's backgrounds, like there seem to be uh, a big contingent of, you know, researchers as there always is, but also um, folks that are academic researchers. Uh, I noticed a whole bunch of activists uh, speaking uh, this year. You know, there's always lawyers. There's a few of those on there. There's a lot of data science and machine learning, which I guess considering the height that machine learning has, it's not unexpected, but it is a little bit unusual, I think that when you think of Black Hat, you think of, check out this cool thing I broke. And here we're actually getting more creators, more builders. So it's a nice change. And honestly, I think it's for the better. Yeah, I think, you know, as there's more people coming into the community from different types of backgrounds, you know, different work backgrounds, academic backgrounds, uh, different interests, they 
bring with them different concepts that can apply to information security. You know, it's not just like you said, look, I broke this awesome thing and, you know, here's how you can fix it and prevent it from being broken again. It's more like, okay, here's what, um, here's a better way to approach this problem. Here's a, a better way to approach this defensive uh, mindset, that kind of stuff, which I find kind of fascinating. I mean, the cool thing is, is Black Hat had moved away from a bragging session. It's no longer, I mean, there's still a lot of ego. There's still a lot of like the look how cool I am, but it moved away from the entire thing where it's like, it's me, 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 but it's like, hey, look what I can do. I'm open sourcing this tool so you can do it too. Yeah. So we, we, and the industry is a little bit like that. We're a lot more collaborative. And I like the fact that Black Hat is reflecting that also. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder where that kind of uh, shift started. You know, it, it probably in the last like three or four years, I think, when maybe just as the it's gotten so much bigger and so many more people are are coming and interested in speaking in it. You know, there's been government people. There's always been kind of um, lawyers and intel people hanging around, but um, it definitely does seem like kind of a, a major evolution in the last few years. I would say the sh- for me, I think the shift came around, what was it, three, four years ago, maybe even five, when Google and uh, Apple started coming and talking about, hey, this is what we do, you know, kind mm-hmm. of giving the sneak peek. So yeah. it wasn't somebody else coming and saying, look what I broke in Android or look what I can do with iOS when you have Google and Apple coming and saying, this is what we're doing now. Why don't you tell us your ideas so we can do it better? Or this is how we're actually doing this cool thing that you didn't know about. So we, I think they helped change that little conversation from, again, being slightly adversarial to being like, hey, I'm going to tell you our secrets. Yeah, the, the one that in that respect comes to mind right away is the Apple one from, I think, two years ago when they got up and essentially explained the way that they secure iOS, you know, which, (laughs) you know, there must've been like 4,000 people in that room. Like there, there were people sitting on the floor and standing against the walls and everything. And it was great. It was really cool. It was the first one of those sessions I can remember from Apple engineers, you know, and not just kind of a, you know, a marketing person or somebody like that, just being like, Hey, we have cool new security stuff. They were like, here's exactly what we do. Here's how we defend against this. Here's how we do this. Here's what the, you know, the secure enclave does, all that kind of stuff. And you um, know that lawyers were all over, but that was the best part. The fact yeah. that even with all that concerns, they were still able to do it. And I think that's, that it's more talks like that, that's making it easier, I think, for people who are not interested in, you know, making the ATM break. Although I think there's another ATM hacking talk again this year. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Barn- Barnaby Jack kind of set the standards that there must be one ATM half a year. <laughs> well, the first one's always the best, uh, yeah. especially with that one. It's it's tough to top that. Um, so I think maybe one of the most anticipated sessions this year is the keynote, which, you know, isn't always the case. Like a lot of times the keynote is just kind of like, all right, they got some big name person. Like a lot of times it might be like an author or something like that. And they just kind of get up and meander for a while. And then, you know, it's, that's kind of it. Um, but this year they got Parisa Tabriz from Google, um, from the Chrome security team to 
to do the keynote. And I, I saw her speak at uh, their Enigma conference a couple years ago. She was kind of the, the MC, like the okay. overall, I don't remember that she gave a specific session, but she's obviously extremely intelligent and a good speaker from what I remember. And the, um, the title of her talk, which is, uh, you know, optimistic dissatisfaction with the status quo is pretty fascinating. I'm, I'm not entirely sure where it's going to go, but I'm always interested to hear kind of these behind the curtain um, talks from folks at the big companies like Google, you know, even though lots of Google engineers and developers and execs speak at conferences and stuff like that, a lot of times you don't get kind of a bigger picture talk from them. It might be about one specific thing, like here's the year in Android security or something along those lines, which are, which are cool too. But these kind of big picture talks from somebody that has a really kind of, obviously Google has the big picture of the internet since they kind of run it, (laughs) you know? Yeah, they are the internet. Um, I'm really interested to hear what she has to say and kind of what the, this optimistic dissatisfaction with the status quo means, especially for Google and their security folks. I mean, one of the things she mentioned in the abstract is that there's apparently some kind of a publication that an intern did, and they're going to be basically talking about how they turned that publication, that project that intern did into a five-year project, which is right there an impressive thing coming out of Google. Like, okay, wow, what is that project? What happened that it took five years to really implement it? So it's these kind of stories that it kind of makes you realize that, you know, Google isn't just like this giant mass company that we all rail against when we can't find what we need on our search engine, <laughs> <laughs> but an actual company with lots of ideas and different things going on. So I wonder if that's uh, the site isolation thing that they just implemented in Chrome, because right after that went into production in, in like the stable version of Chrome, Somebody in on the Google Chrome team put out a link to like, oh, this is, you know, this goes all the way back to this uh, thesis that one of our employees had way back when, you know, like five or seven years ago. Oh, uh, maybe that is it. It could be something like that. Yeah. But, yeah, but it's still I mean, really cool, like, as you said, that they, that they have like the, this wealth of talent that they're taking you know interns phd theses and you know just being like okay this is going to turn into a vital security um feature in chrome and you know the site isolation which is being used as a defense against the attacks like specter and meltdown the the uh, speculative execution attacks was you know proposed long before those attacks or and bugs were even known which just shows you like the kind of the advanced thinking that goes into that kind of thing and the other thing also is a lot of the times when you have research projects or even just any kind of company project, they're very specific to this is how we made it work. With Google, you know it's scalable because we're talking like thousands of machines, like thousands of systems that they're trying to coordinate. So just the fact that you're solving a really tough project at scale is another fascinating input. And I'm really hoping Carissa Tabri does get to go into a bit of a detail. I mean, it's only 50 minutes, not three hours. But but still, you kind of hope that she's not going to just be like, oh yeah, this is kind of how I did it and then move on. But that she really does get to give some details. 
I would imagine that she will because I, I, I don't think she would, you know, would have agreed to do this kind of thing if she doesn't get to, you know, talk about things in depth. She, you know, there's plenty of ways to give, you know, kind of grand pronouncements without, you know, getting on stage at Black Hat. You, you, there needs to be some kind of meat behind it. I'm sure she'll, she'll deliver that. Yeah. Um, the, the other one that really caught my eye, like right off the bat, just kind of looking through the, the schedule was this one um, that talks about stress and hacking. And it's not just like, you know, the stress of being involved in the security community or something like that. It's very specific to offensive operators in, you know, um, specific um, situations and how like long work hours and the stress of their jobs can lead to like OPSEC mistakes. Is that and the Jay Radcliffe one? The no, mental- it's, it's two NSA guys. Ooh. Yeah. It's two NSA. Uh, com- like one is a, um, I'd have to go back and look at their titles, but they're both NSA employees, like active employees um, that are talking about how, you know, the almost like people talk about uh, doctors and nurses that work these insane 24 hour shifts and how the kind of stress and accumulated fatigue of their, their jobs can lead to mistakes. And, you know, obviously in those cases, those mistakes can have, you know, real world serious consequences, but uh, you know, for offensive operators, they can have real consequences too. If they make mistakes in, you know, leaving something where it shouldn't be, or, you know, uh, anything along those lines, they can, you know, lead to a operation being discovered or blown or something like that, or tools being blown. Um, so anytime they want to put NSA people on stage, I'll go and listen. Right. Um, exactly. You know, that looks really fascinating to me because the, the topic is really interesting and it, it might only apply to a small, you know, subset of people, but it's a really cool, you know, uh, topic, I think. It, it is. And I kind of like the fact that Black Hat is actually paying attention to a lot of mental health issues. I mean, it, I'm not sure I need to look, but I'm wondering if that's part of the community track, because there are a lot of other talks that, okay. So they're really taking a point to kind of talking about, I guess the non-hacking part of InfoSec, talking about, okay, mental health, talking about um, the one that I was looking at was essentially about um, suicide prevention, Mm -hmm. depression and suicide. And, you know, that's a really important topic to be talking about. There is, I think, another one um, basically on how to be developing coping strategies and it's really, really nice that we're talking about the hacking the human part, not in the social engineering way, but how to make ourselves better. Yeah. So, but yeah, the NSA one looks sounds really intriguing now. Yes. You always figure that there were folks at the NSA thinking about this kind of stuff, but the idea that they're actually being allowed to come out and speak about it in a public setting like Black Hat where, you know, it's a very mixed audience. You don't know who's going to be in the audience for that <laughs> talk. You know, there, you exactly. can assume there's some bad guys in the audience. You can assume yeah. there's uh, probably foreign intel officers in the audience. And I mean, you can pretty much assume there's going, interesting be, parties. there's going to be people who are basically going to just hear the word NSA and immediately just shut it out and be like, oh, you have nothing I want to hear. So it's not going to be a friendly audience by all means. Probably not. No, no. I, I do remember 
was it the year after the Snowden um, disclosures that Michael Hayden came and gave the keynote? It, it was Keith Alexander. Oh, oh, Keith Alexander back then. That's right. Yeah. Ooh, that was that was rough. <laughs> that was rough. I have to say, I gave him props for standing up there and being calm. And I mean, there wasn't anything that we didn't know, but the fact that he stood there and did the keynote took mm-hmm. a lot of guts. Oh yeah. I, that would have been an immediate no for me. No, thank you. <laughs> you know, I appreciate the invitation, but no, I'll be somewhere else. The, exactly. uh, um, there yeah. was another talk um, that I'm actually. So, what are the what are the? I think we all cross talked. Yeah, go ahead. What? I'm just gonna say there's a talk on Wednesday that I'm really intrigued by. Um, it's by Mara Tam from Riverloop Security, and it's called. It's all about attribution. So her thing, her abstract starts off with attribution fatigue is real. We're tired of attribution. So I'm just sitting here and I'm like, yes, this is something I actually do care about. I am tired of all this. Does it even matter? And I don't know. I don't know if she's going to come out with, you know, a better way to attribute or is she going to kind of go in with saying, like, maybe we should look at something else. But just the fact that someone is willing to stand out there and say, hey, maybe all this focus on figuring out who did it or where they're from had its own implications. So it's a good question to pose, especially for this audience. Yeah, that's something that I've asked people for years, like in different organizations and, you know, in different roles and, you know, on and off the record for a million different stories. Like, why do you even care who it is? And, you know, just trying to, and it, I, I think the conclusion that I've come to, at least for the most part, is that it all depends on the organization and maybe what the attackers were going after. So um, I think the best example of why an organization might care is, some, is a company like Facebook, you know, so their platform obviously is being um, abused by all kinds of people with, um, you know, these influence campaigns, like the one that they uh, kind of disclosed yesterday, um, which they didn't directly to Russian groups, but they seeded a lot of like connections throughout there. And they obviously have to care about who is behind these things because it has, you know, not just implications for them, but for national security and, you know, the integrity of elections and all that kind of stuff. But if you're, you know, a small organization, somebody, you know, used a well-known bug to get into your employee database and steal a bunch of stuff, you mostly care about limiting the damage and, you know, figuring out how they got in, I would imagine, if you have the resources to hire outside investigators to go and, you know, attribute it. Okay. But I would imagine that's pretty far down the list of priorities. Right. You know, like you're going to go spend more money on that instead of on defenses. I don't know. I would hope not. <laughs> yeah, me too. Right. I mean, obviously government agencies care because they have to and, large corporations care because their shareholder implications and that kind of thing. But, you know, for an average company that gets hit by ransomware or, you know, something like that, I don't know, or, you know, some spear phishing attack, they might've just been a random target, you know, yeah, exactly. which is probably true. One thing that kind of struck me while I was going through the list of all the um, speakers, the, the, 
the creativity, like everyone's like title game is on point. Like there's so many song references, there's so many puns. And I'm thinking, what happened? Like, did everybody go to a class that I wasn't aware of to know how to write a good session headline? Because they're all like hysterical. They're all really good. And there's so many puns and yeah, like pop culture references, movie references, song title references, um, a bunch that I don't really understand, which you know, <laughs> might just be my ignorance. I don't know. But also I was just scrolling through, like trying to find any abstract title that didn't have at least one colon in it. Right. <laughs> very, very few. Like the, it's all, you know, like four words, colon, and then like the explanation. It's just, you know, cause you have to have the catchy, catchy title at the beginning so that the, you know, the um, program committee will look at it and be like, Ooh, I know exactly. that song. Exactly. You know, especially if I guess you're not a well-known presenter or something like that, you gotta gotta step up the the abstract title. Yeah. Although, I mean, there were a couple that I'm sitting here and I'm like, all right, you're showing your age here. (laughs) Like a Fleetwood Mac reference or something. Yeah, the um, Fire and Ice. I mean, I love the song. I'm not sure how many of the younger folks are going to actually recognize that. Zero, I would say. (laughs) Yeah. I think, exactly. you know, we're on the lower end of the age scale that would even rec- recognize that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, so I'm actually going to flip the question. Too interested in this um, yeah. is one that actually, go ahead. No, no, go for it. No, go ahead. Go, go, go. Oh, no, I was going to take it away from Black Hat. So if you have something to talk about Black Hat, Black Hat go for it. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say the last one I was really, really looking forward to is this one that is kind of an academic study on whether organized crime is actually taking over the cybercrime landscape. Yes, the mafia talk. Yes, yes. You put mafia in an abstract title, I'm going to your talk, no matter what. Like, it could, it, it doesn't even matter. I'm going. Like, if it involves organized crime, I'm interested. So, um, I think it was, it was a academic researcher from somewhere in the UK and they, they did like a long-term study of, you know, I'm not sure what their methods were, but you know, I want to hear this. I want to know because that's one of those things that you hear as uh, just a fact, you know, from politicians and, um, all kinds of, you know, law enforcement agencies, people in the, in the industry that like, yes, you know, the, the traditional mob that you think about, you know, like the American mafia or, you know, Russian organized crime is very much involved in the cybercrime landscape and they they kind of run it and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know how much of that is true. I think at the top end, they're certainly involved, but I think the top end is a very small fraction of what goes on in, in what you think of as cybercrime. You know, there's just thousands and thousands of random people that buy exploit kits or, you know, do spear fishing and hope to make, you know, 20 grand on ransomware or something, you know, I don't think those people are all members of the Gambino crime family. I don't know. We'll find out. Except now I feel like I have to go and watch my Godfather movie just so I'll get all the references. <laughs> I can give you all of those quotes verbatim by heart. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I've seen those movies hundreds of times. There we go. Just one and two though. Three doesn't count. <laughs> So I've heard that. <laughs> so one thing that I am actually looking forward to that just kind of popped in my head, I mean, 
Charlie Miller and Chris Vallostock has kind of dominated the car hacking scene. Mm-hmm. And now they're offering to talk about it from the other side, from a defensive point. So I think that's going to be really interesting because, you know, these are the two people who probably know more about hacking cars than anyone else right now. And if they're going to be talking a little bit on the defensive side, it's worth listening to that as well. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, those guys, they didn't invent car hacking, but I, I think you could say they kind of perfected like what we think of as car hacking. Um, and, you know, if you want to find out how, I, they certainly know more about, you know, automotive information security. I don't know what the correct term is than, you know, anybody else, especially the people that were building cars in the last decade. Um, so I definitely want to hear what they have to say about that. I don't know how much detail they're going to be allowed to go into, but I mean, you know, they worked, they worked at Uber's advanced technology center for a couple of years and now they're working for GM's uh, autonomous car division, um, which I think is called cruise. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super interested to hear what they have to say and they're always entertaining. I mean, <laughs> they could show up in the track suits again. You don't know what they're going to be wearing. It's yeah, it's always good. So, I mean, you know, we might be a little bit reluctant going out to Vegas, but I think it's pretty much a given that it's still going to be a lot of really great talks. There's going to be a lot of people talking about the talks afterwards. <laughs> yes. So. There's always talks about the talks. <laughs> yes. Um, are you going to any of the ancillary, ancillary is not, the, not a kind word, the outside, uh, like B-sides or... Um, I know there's a couple of other smaller kind of, you know, private events too. So I'm going to B-Sides. I'll be there on Tuesday. Um, I'm not going to be there on Wednesday specifically because I want to see the keynotes and some of the talks that we just talked about, but I will be there all day Tuesday. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of really cool tracks. I mean, it's a smaller conference, but B-Sides Las Vegas does a really good job of making it very accessible. And I think a lot of it is because of their format. I mean, their entire format, you're not talking at the audience, you're having a conversation with the audience. So the speakers kind of go in knowing that they're going to be interrupted, that they're going to have to involve the audience and sort of answer, not just, you know, ask a question and answer, but taking in their inputs while they're speaking. So it's a very different dynamic. Yeah, I like B-Sides for that. And then I'm actually going to the Diana in- Initiative after Black Hat. So that one is focused heavily on um, diversity, of primarily raising the profiles of women in mm-hmm. the security industry. So there's a lot of really cool talks there. Um, Thursday afternoon, I think, they're actually having a three-hour intro to Python hacking. So I'm really excited about that. I'm taking my laptop. I'm going to sit there and be like, all right, I'm ready to learn. (laughs) Nice. But yeah, I mean, just the fact that, uh, so their basic, their focus is not just on, okay, here are the cool talk by women, but hey, how do we make the industry work for you? You know, there is always a conversation whenever you talk about diversity that, oh, we're going to be lowering standards. We're making things easier. And no, the Diana Initiative is nothing about that. It's about, okay, here's the industry. You're interested. This is how you get in. This is how you make the system work. And this is what you need. And that kind of, I, I like to call it sort of like a training. I like yeah. That kind of mentality is, I think, really valuable. So 
I know a couple of folks who are going to DEFCON. I'm actually just going to be there only for a couple hours and then skipping out because it's just way too long in Vegas. I can't do it. Some people can, you know, I give them props, but that's just not me. No, those days are long behind me. It's, I went to DEFCON last year only for one day and it was the first time I'd been there in I think five years, six years, maybe. And I could not believe how long the lines are for those exactly. sessions. Like yeah. any session that's worth going to, you've got to get in line like two hours before it, it starts. Yeah, exactly. You're, you missing, like, you're missing the session before. You can't do anything back to back because you need to be online for it. Right. And there's no, I mean, not that there should be, but there's no real like, media shortcuts like you can't just be like oh can i you know like black hat does that like they for the keynotes at least they have like a media um section up front which is great and all that kind of stuff and rsa does too but you know defcon is just a different thing yeah and that's fine i mean you know media has to pay cash for their badges just like yeah. everybody else does i mean the badges aren't we like subhuman or something i i have mine sitting next to me somewhere it doesn't say subhuman at least last year's but um just says media, which might as well, you know, in that, <laughs> in that environment, it might as well say subhuman. Um, it just brands you as somebody that people just kind of look at like, oh, great. Um, but they do always have great badges. You have to give them to the, you know, even though Joe Grant doesn't build them anymore, they all, they are always cool. But yeah, exactly. I, it, it just, you can't, you can only go to like one talk a day there or maybe two if you can find, you know, somebody to go stand in line for you in the afternoon. Exactly. Just, um, have you brought your kids there? Did you take your one of your kids to DEFCON once? My kids went to DEFCON three years ago. Okay. And they, at the time, were both of them were under the age of 10. Yeesh. So, so they were on the young side. But yeah. you know what? We got them into the Roots room, the DEFCON kid room. Mm -hmm. They had a bunch of different talks. Dan Kaminsky gave the keynote. Um, they had a lot, they had Joe Grand give one of the other keynotes. So they had a lot of really smart people talking yeah. and talking about what's going on. They had their own lock picking village, their own, um, just destroy thing. My older, <laughs> <laughs> my older son actually did a whole network hacking, uh, lab where he learned how to use Metasploit and how he was taking over VM. It was awesome. Damn. So That's really cool. At the end of that, though, the instructor, and this I appreciated tremendously, the instructor pulled aside my son and had a whole conversation about just because you know how to do this doesn't mean you do this. It doesn't mean you now go out and do it to system. You do it only to computers you own or you have permission to. Nice. And, you know, I, I tell him this, it doesn't come, it doesn't sound the same with it coming from mom. But when a, when a real hacker is telling <laughs> him, like, hey, dude, you got to make sure you're being ethical. He learns, he remembers it. Yeah. And that was an amazing thing. I mean, the only complaint I had about the roots setup, and again, I understand why they did it this way, is um, there had to be at least one parent there at all yeah. times. Yeah. So my husband and I were basically trading, you know, it's like what you were saying, you have to already be on talk online to getting to talk. Yeah. And then we had to kind of take into account for the fact that one of us had to be in the room. So it was right. a lot of scheduling, but I mean, 
it was basically recreating DEF CON inside that one large room. I mean, they even did the badge hacking, so they were able to hack their own DEF CON badges. So, I mean, I it's like cool. The I love that they do that. I, I really do. I think I kind of wish I brought my kids when they were younger. Now that they're like older teenage, like they're teenagers, so it's like. I, I think they would enjoy it more now, though. Maybe there, yeah. there's a lot of cryptography, uh, cryptography puzzles. Yeah, that my kid wanted to do. They were fascinated by it, but they were just not quite there yet. Yep. Yeah, those can be tough. I mean, I look at some of those things, and I'm like, oh, I mean, that looks like fun, but I'm gonna go do a crossword puzzle instead. <laughs> like, there's too many <laughs> numbers involved in this for me. Exactly. Uh, I'm just good with the letters. Um, all right. So I, you know. It's as much as uh, that we can kind of wear us both out. I think um, I think we're generally excited to get out there and you know see some of these talks. And I would encourage people to kind of go and seek out the talks that maybe don't have ten thousand people in them. You know, just look for interesting topics and maybe speakers that you haven't seen before. Um, it's easy. Like I fall into that trap a lot of times. You you're looking for something. And you're like, well, I know this person's a good speaker. Or I you know I know she always has something interesting to say. So I'll just go to that. Um, it, you know, it might take a little more effort to kind of look deeper down in the tracks and find maybe first time speakers or, you know, younger folks that, that might have a interesting point of view. My favorite way to discover new things is going to Arsenal. I don't know if you've ever mm -hmm. done that. Oh yeah. Uh, sure. Like all those tools that people are demoing, you know, a lot of them you'll probably never hear of again. But then there are others that you later realize, hey, wait a minute, Netflix is using this in their system and stuff yeah. like that. So just some of like the smaller tools that they're talking about how they use it and why they created it. It's just a really cool way of just finding out what the tinkerers and the builders are doing in the community. Yeah, definitely. Because a lot of those kind of internal tools and things that people are building on their own um, yeah, you may never hear them again, or they may turn into, you know, some Google project that ends up <laughs> Chrome, you know, like we mentioned earlier, you never know how that stuff works, you know, and that's a lot of people, you know, kind of find their footing at Black Hat too, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, some small tool like that, or some small technique, um, they run into the right person who's interested in it, and then they, you know, might get a, you know, a connection gets made, and they bigger, better job or something like that. Um, you know, Black Hat could definitely be that kind of place. Um, there are, you know, 20,000 people wandering around or whatever <laughs> it is now. Yeah. Do you ever call that week summer camp? I hear a lot of people doing that and it just strikes me as really weird. Yeah, it is weird. And it, it seems to me it only started about four or five years ago. Um, it, to me, it's the opposite of summer camp. Like <laughs> summer camp is supposed to be relaxing and like you're, you're going canoeing and, you know, there's a tire swing involved and, you know, maybe there's, uh, you know, s'mores, but there is nothing relaxing, <laughs> no, you know, unless you're spending your whole time in the spa, which, you know, it's certainly there, we know people that do that kind of thing, but uh, it's not, <laughs> it's certainly not summer campy to me now. <laughs> I come back from that and I go on vacation. Like that's the way I feel about that place. You know, you need a, br a break after that trip. Exactly. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we did it and we will, I will see you next week, uh, about a week from now in right. 120 degree heat. And uh, hopefully we'll have a good time and see everybody and hope everybody enjoys it. Yep.
As long as we all stay hydrated, right? Yes, yes. Good advice. All right. I'll see you in a week. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.